Trino is a query federation solution that lets you run SQL queries on data kind of wherever you've got it, whether it's in buckets in S3 or in a database or in a spreadsheet, wherever. It'll it'll have connectors to go off and get all that stuff and query it and, and give you the results. Not classically considered a real-time analytics technology, but there is a connector to Pino that enables some really, really cool stuff. I've got the author of that connector, Elon Azale, on the show today to tell you all about it. Let's listen in. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Real-Time Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Berglund, and I'm joined today by Elon Azalai. Elon is a software engineer at Starburst. Elon, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. You got it. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. Now, you have been involved in writing the uh, Trino Pino connector. That's hard to say precisely. Uh, I want to I want to talk about that today, but uh, first, in case uh, anyone is not initiated into the mysteries of Trino, uh, what's Trino? So Trino is a massively uh, parallel distributed SQL engine, and it's based on a connector architecture where it'll connect to your data lake, to Postgres, to Pino, uh, to Kafka even, and you can do uh, advanced analytics and queries over your uh, disparate data sets and it's like SQL on anything. You can even have a GitHub connector if you want. Oh, it's nice. I can do yeah. SQL queries of, uh, of files in a GitHub repo. Yeah. And like your GitHub test runs and, uh, success okay. rates and duration. Oh, actually like API stuff. Okay. Very cool. I mean, okay. Now, so I, I knew, I knew SQL over anything. Um, I, I, Got to tell you, I was not going, not ready to expand my definition of anything to include uh, uh, things I might get out of GitHub's API. I was thinking more like maybe I've got some stuff in S3 and I've got some stuff in a database, and I need to do federated queries over all those things. We, I mean, is and is that is that kind of the yeah? That's the, the, the typical, common typical yeah. use case. Uh, there's even a connector for Google Sheets, uh, so you oh. can import your Google Sheets data yes. and uh, okay. Yeah, SQL on anything, preferably uh, Pino and S3. But there you go. I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess kind of the the old school or the the original. I don't want to say old school, but the original idea of a data warehouse from 30, 35 years back was go and get all the things and put them into a database with a specially designed, carefully engineered schema and then do SQL queries over that thing to build reports. And it kind of like, you're kind of like, you're cutting out the middleman. You're just going to be distributed SQL wherever your data is. You'll go get it. Yep. There you go. Now, um, and I, I, this, this goes under the, the broad heading of query federation, which makes sense, right? you got all these other things that may themselves have some way of executing queries or may just be piles of data like CSV files somewhere or Google sheets somewhere. Uh, and you, you just, do queries over all those things. Um, Now, I wouldn't, uh, this is called the Real-Time Analytics Podcast, and I wouldn't normally put that in the category of being real-timey because the the value there is the anywhere. And, you know, so you you might be going out to weird data sources and, 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 you know, that that might take some time. But absolutely critical component in 
in whatever the modern data stack actually is, you know, Trino often shows up there. What can you, I mean, I, I want to talk about the connector and what motivated you to write it and, you know, use cases and things like that. I, I want to get to all that. But for those of us who don't know Trino well, can you give us an idea how it works? I mean, you said connector based and that makes sense given the, you know, you got to do all these things, but um, yeah, where's it run? How's it, how's it fit in? Just kind of give us that basic architectural rundown. Sure. So it's based on a plugin architecture and people contribute code. Uh, you know, a lot of it's from Trino and from Starburst um, where it, you write the code that says like, this is how you select, this is how you filter, this is how you push down aggregations and joins and things like that. And then you give it a properties file to connect to your data sources and one for each connector. And so you can connect to Pino, you can connect to S3, Data Lake, uh, Postgres instance, MySQL, and you could do joins. You could, for example, get your real-time data from Pino and then add it to your you know, analytics table in S3 so you could do more complex uh, and more batch style analytics also. Um, but also uh, one other benefit that uh, we used it for was, let's say you have an error, you know, like ingesting data in Pinot for some reason from Kafka, you can actually use the Kafka connector to debug, you know, which messages and what the error was, if the schema changed. That's happened tons of times. So that was a really useful, uh, one of the use, uh, really helpful uses of the connector. Um, nice. Another one is being able to join, let's say, to a Postgres database and doing more, uh, you know, slower but more analytically intense queries, like with, you know, having filters or aggregation filters, so window functions, things like that, uh, where you could take the real-time data, process it, and join it with other data that you have. Yeah, and that that joining of sort of this, that, and the other thing in in disparate places is the idea. Again, the, the cutting out of the middleman, you're just going to do the join on the data where it sits. You're not going to bring it all into one place. Right. Um, what is the, what is the, the, the process that things plug into? There's, there's got to be some core kind of um, what it is to be Trino. You know, what, what's the physical architecture of the thing look like? Uh, so it's, you have a coordinator that's similar to the broker endpoint in Pino where it, you that's where you uh, query against that's the endpoint yeah. and then you have workers that actually do the work that's more that's similar to the Pino servers uh, where it'll re, you know you put together a plan and then it'll go out to the different connectors and pull the data in and do the aggregations and sure. uh, filters it'll actually push as much as it can into the connector and we did a lot of work to do that with Pino and there's even more ongoing work uh, so you can have like a native Pinot query and push it or a native Postgres query, push it, and then just join the result sets instead of getting all the results and doing the filtering in the Trino engine. And that's a game changer in terms of latency. It's got to uh, be, yeah, because nobody wants Because you mentioned in the definition of a plugin, you can push down things like aggregations and I'm sure predicates and, you know, anything you can push down, you want to be in that kind of terminal place. Right. Because it's more likely to be tightly coupled with its storage and it'll be faster. And then you get the things back from the, the, the everywheres and, and you do the join or the, the um, reduce or, you know, whatever that thing is that you're doing at the end. 
Yep, exactly. Um, another um, good. Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. I was going to say another feature is uh, Pino has a gRPC endpoint. That was one of the. I was honored to be able to contribute that, uh, so that you can actually get the data directly from the servers. If, for example, you'll have a production Pino with a broker with highly curated queries that you know power customer real-time customer database uh, dashboards. Uh, right, but let's right. say you want to do some advanced analytics and it's on all of the data and you don't want to affect the brokers, this will directly go to the servers and pull the data in. So if let you know you want to use it to export the data into like a more long-term batch data set that you want to do your batch analytics on. Or uh, just sometimes we actually use that for debugging. Also, like if you see latency on the broker, but you can get the queries quickly on Trino through the servers, then we know we can pinpoint where the issue is. But the main use case for that was uh, just to get the data, like all, if you need bulk data, it's actually much easier on Pino to do it through the gRPC endpoint. If you do it through the broker, you'll crash the broker. So this way you can have your workloads coexist, you know, multi-tenant environment where you have people querying the broker for production. And then for analytics, you hit the servers and may not care as much yeah. about the latency for, for offline analytics where you right. don't need real time agency. Although you get the Pinos fast though. So yeah, right. And, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, but the business analyst use case tip currently, you know, we're recording this in late October, 2023, ask me in 2026, if this is changing, but you know, most, most of the people who are looking at a dashboard, they, they don't need it to be a thousand times faster. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're delivering analytics to users in a user interface as a feature that's powered by analytical queries, well, yes, that has to be right. Pino speed, but, yep. but a lot of the, I mean, like, look at me as a, as a DevRel leader, the stuff that I need to see. Yeah. Daily's fine. You know, <laughs> how many, how many people RSVP'd to that meetup in the last five seconds? Eh, you know, that's not really how it goes for me now. Plenty of people need the real time stuff, but the, the typical business analyst doesn't. And so you're saying, because I mean, the whole, you know, select star, uh, give me the whole table from Pino. That that's kind of rude. You don't. Yeah, you'll kill all it. All app databases not, do. Not what it's for. Yeah, they're all designed to. You either aggregated to a scaler, you know, or a group of scalers, you know. So like a a key value pair set of fairly low cardinality. When you want all the things, you go straight for the gRPC throat and just extract. Um, right. Pretty cool. All right. Nice. I, I, uh, that's actually a TIL for me. I did not know that that uh, was a part of the functionality. So thank you for contributing that. Yeah. Thanks for accepting my contribution. Ah, well, I didn't do it. I am not a, I'm, I'm, I'm not one who uh, approves PRs on the Pinot project, but I'm glad. I love the community though. It's so helpful. And that I learned, nice. you know, like I originally, learned about Pinot at my last job startup and uh, we chose it actually because the community was so engaging and uh, you know started working with us allowed us to contribute learn and we've grown with Pinot so yeah we love it I love it hey so uh, uh, dear listener uh, Elon and I did not arrange that comment before we recorded at all that was completely spontaneous I'm glad I am very <laughs> glad that that's been your impression. Um, oh, yeah, because that's that's what I see in the Pinot community from a user standpoint. So, like developers using the database as a database to deliver features in their stuff that they're building. Um, 
but there's then there's the community of of the people who are building Pino. And I mean, I know some of those people and I know that they're delightful. Yeah, um, they are. But I don't, I don't, I don't see that level of interaction as much like in my day to day. I'm, I'm more like, okay, how are people trying to make Pino work from the outside? But it's nice to know you can get a contribution in and that's still a, a pleasant process. Nice, but, but not surprising again, given uh, the quality of those folks there. Yeah. And that so, was a game changer for us. We evaluated a few different real time analytics databases and uh that was one of the clear besides the performance that was the clear differentiator even just for users that post in the troubleshooting or general you always get a you know five people replying and helping you nice yeah and i i gotta tell you i mean i i don't so i mean this this podcast as a whole is not just about pino but of course my work is is trying to make pino famous uh among developers on planet earth and um, as a person whose job that is, I don't have to run away from performance conversations. Um, benchmarks are, are a dirty business and I, I don't, I don't like to go there. That's like, it's just a tough place to fight and, and, you know, feel like everybody's telling the truth. Everybody's right. got their own spin on things. It's nice when other people say that though, like somebody else goes and runs some numbers, uh, like a year or so ago, uh, had some folks at WebEx did a, did a webinar about all their performance uh, kind of bake off. And those are in context of a real system. It's not somebody tuning a benchmark to make it look good. They're always better numbers. And that, that's, that happens, right? When people do that with Pino, it, it, it works in terms of performance. But I would say, even if that wasn't the case, I think strength of the community, when you're making an adoption decision like this in an open source context, and there are some, some nearby choices, um, I think strength of community is, is, the better thing. I mean, that's that's the, the more important right. piece of the puzzle. Yeah, and recently we actually, uh, so now uh, I was using it before. It was called StarTree. It was just Pinot, but now we have StarTree and you have the SaaS product and Starburst also has the Galaxy SaaS product. And we recently ad- added the Pinot connector so we can connect from uh, Galaxy to StarTree also. So users awesome. that uh, awesome. use both platforms now can connect to each other. I love it. Oh man, that's so great. Um, so is there anything else interesting about the connector that you want to dig into? Like, you know, the experience of not the community experience of writing it, but on a technical level, was there any, were there any interesting problems to solve? Is there anything worth? Uh, uh, yeah, there's a ton of, there? uh, it's one of the most fun things to work on. Uh, one of the other great uses for the connector was onboarding data. So if you have like, a small Postgres table or a dimension table or the result of a report and you want to add it into Pino so that now people could use it to power their dashboard and get the results in, you know, milliseconds and do, you know, aggregations and filters on those like a, a smallish amount of reference data that you might want to join to or something like that. Right. But also it works for huge data sets. Uh, that uh, insert, it's still a, uh, it's almost landed in production, but in my last job, we were actually using it for a year and a half where it was constantly, you know, it would be like tens of terabytes per hour uh, ingested via insert. So you can use it for Lambda architecture. For example, you ingest your real-time data, but then you have another process that you sanitize the data and you upload it to the offline table. And Pinot is right. designed for that, that, you know, the real-time and offline uh, table types. It's perfectly designed for Lambda architecture. 
and by enabling users to just say insert you know my new data instead of uh, having like a separate external job like a I don't know Minion. like a Spark job or something like that. You could you'll, just you'll have a Spark job. Yeah, you could just have it in a single SQL statement, and it really empowers data engineers to just you know onboard tons of data to Pino. So okay. you have a real time ingestion and sanitize it, upload it to offline data, and that that's a pretty helpful feature. And so technically, uh, Trino is executing that SQL statement. But with the Pinot connector, it's inserting via the Pinot connector into it's 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 like creating segments. Oh yeah, and it does it. Uh, so it does it using the new Pinot APIs for uh, the metadata upload. So it doesn't even affect the server. Uh, earlier versions of Pinot, you had to upload the data to the controller. That would increase latency and memory usage. Uh, so it would right. limit the scale. Now that's completely uh, those limits are eliminated. So you upload your data to S3 or GCS or Azure. Then you tell the controller, hey, my data's over here. That's my, standard. My, segment, my right. segment is in S3. And it uses the Pino libraries to build the segments on the Trino workers in parallel. So it's not like just selecting from a single node and then uh, uploading to Pino. It's actually taking all the data and in parallel uploading the segments. And there was a recent improvement in Pinot where you have the atomic API, so you could do atomic replacement. So users won't even know, like, for example, if an insert failed, you would still have the real-time and offline data that was there. But if it succeeds, it'll uh, succeed atomically. So you won't see some crazy, like, spike and, uh, like, a peak in a valley before the data is available. It'll just come come up online uh, atomically. There you go. Okay. No, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I am, uh, honestly getting a sense for how powerful this is. So if you've got, yeah, if Trino's in your life and Pino's in your life, um, you want this integration because that, that, that might be a really easy way to onboard data. Cause it, it, cause the, the thing is, um, it is, it would be very surprising if, you know, you say, okay, we, we have to, uh, we have to start. We're going to start using Pinot. We're going to roll Pinot out because there's some real time analytics requirements we have. We're moving to that world, and oh look, here's exactly the data we have. Uh, here's this S3 bucket, and look at look at these Avro files. It's it's exactly the columns, and you know what would be the odds? Or here's my Kafka topic, and it's just lying there, ready to be ingested. You know, it's not usually like that. You've got data and it's all in various forms serving other things that you've been doing with it in data pipelines and in applications. And you kind of usually have to squish stuff around a little bit before you ingest it, whether it's uh, streaming ingest into a real-time table or batch ingest into a so-called offline table. Um, you have to mush stuff around a little bit. That's just the nature of data. And it, it's, that's, you know, 90% of the, the job is, is, is doing the, the cleaning and the enriching and the, the right. as I say, the, the mushing. And there's all these ways to do that. You know, you, there's the Spark API, there's the older school Hadoop API, um, you know, there's libraries where you can create segments directly. There's, um, you know, there's, 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 uh, well, of course, Kafka ingest is just from a topic, but yeah, if Trino's there in your data stack, um, that's probably going to be a lot easier because you're now going to be able to express those transformations just in SQL uh, the way that you normally would. And if you can get away with that, man, you'd much rather. 
Yeah, exactly. As, as soon as we enabled this feature, the amount of data in Pinot exploded. And uh, that was a great learning. And Pinot handled it perfectly. You know, we scaled up. This is around the time that the pool-based uh, uh, pool server allocation strategies started to be implemented. So you could have like, you could scale up your tenants and separate them with pools so you have zero downtime. Yeah, uh, yeah, And yeah, the data just right. mushroomed and uh, data engineers loved it. And luckily, uh, I was on the infra team, so we, you know, just scaled seamlessly. Nice. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to server pools. If you want to go deep on Pinot, we don't need to talk. I don't, we don't dive into that right now, but that is an important concept that is relatively new. Uh, and great. So, uh, Zero downtime yeah. for Pinot. Basically. Nice. Okay. All right. Huh. Well, you know, uh, I started this conversation thinking, this sounded like an important thing, but you're actually selling me on it. I mean, it's, it's, it's game changing. Again, it's one of those things where if you didn't have uh, Trino as a part of your stack, maybe you wouldn't spin it up just to, to make your Pinot life easier. Maybe you'd use the other facilities, but there is an awful lot of Trino in the world and an increasing amount of Pinot. And so, uh, more of a chocolate and peanut butter kind of thing than we thought. And for my non-US listeners, I have recently learned that I think it's only Americans who think that chocolate plus peanut butter is really delicious. Um, And so what that means is a really good combination. And if you haven't had chocolate and peanut butter, just side note, you should try it. It's uh, four days before Halloween as we record this. So Yeah, good um, timing. Yeah, I'll be hitting some chocolate peanut butter cups, Reese's peanut butter cups in a few nights. Uh, yeah, Pinot anyway. and Trino go together, Star Tree and Starburst. It's a match. It really made is. Data oh, heaven. I love it. What's a uh, uh, last question? Your favorite thing you've seen someone doing with this? And you mentioned a few, but what's what's the coolest that comes to mind? Uh, we had a data team that actually wrote uh, customers wanted their data in real time. And the, but then they also wanted some aggregate data joined with uh, Postgres, so they created this dashboard uh, that called out to Pino via Trino, and then joined with uh, Postgres. And the customers were getting the data directly from, like the query, just seamlessly at, on this beautiful dashboard, and they loved it. Uh, it was for all the customers in my previous job, actually, that that used it. You know, they would just click up their tablet and see all of a sudden they have all these metrics about their business that they never saw before. And another uh, really useful one is uh, P- using Pinot for anomaly detection. And we used to have a, you know, you would find out about an outage like two or, two or three hours later. It would affect, it would be global scale by then. Uh, with Pinot, you could actually find out within like seconds. And that pretty much eliminated all the outages that, uh, that my last job had. That is powerful. And, um, this, this, uh, this sounds self-aggrandizing because I'm about to talk about a, a light board that I just released, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Elon, that reminds me of a video <laughs> I made. Uh, who's the guest here anyway? <laughs> uh, no, but, but the idea of, of, um, detecting anomalies automatically and faster, uh, because a lot of the cost I mean, it, it, anomalies, root cause detection, once you know about an anomaly, is expensive because you need a lot of human beings looking at the problem and 
all the data isn't always in one place. You got to, you know, go do build special queries, write special jobs, pull stuff in, you know, that could be really nasty. But just learning about the anomaly in the first place, if you don't have automated detection, you have to find some effect that that might be, you know, four or five links down the chain from the actual precipitating event. Um, I always want to put a, an asterisk when I say the word root cause because, you know, uh, what we mean is the largest contributing factor. There, there's never a root cause. I deny the existence of root causes, but, you know, the big thing that is the thing that happened that that relied on other factors and, and kicked it off. But that's links down the chain when the thing that you see, you finally see because you're not monitoring this thing. And so when you have automation wrapped around that, that detects those things in seconds, not only do you, you know, uh, incur lower costs as a result of the anomaly, but you can maybe detect a thing that's closer to the actual route. And it's just, there's so much value to be had there. I'll, I'll link, we did a video on that recently. I'll oh, that's great. This. Yeah. Pinot basically concept. eliminates blast radiuses. Yes. Makes them smaller, which is what we'd like. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, thanks for this contribution uh, uh, you know, of the code and, uh, for helping me see, uh, really all the, uh, you know, beyond, beyond just two pipes connecting all the kinds of things it unlocks. Yeah. And I look forward to contributing more and look forward to engaging with the great community. My guest today has been Elon Ozilai. Elon, thanks for being a part of the real time analytics podcast. Thank you. And there you have it. If you feel compelled to help us spread the word and grow the real time analytics community, you can give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever fine podcasts are sold. If you're watching us on YouTube, hey, subscribe and of course, hit that notification bell. And you can always share your favorite episodes on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever it is you do social media. Thanks, and I look forward to talking to you in the next episode.